0: Well, welcome to another episode in Season 5 of Planet Possible. We're delighted you're joining us to hear evidence-led discussion about the topics that are critical to the way we manage our water and environment. And a huge thanks to our new season sponsor, Accordion, and you'll hear a little bit more about Accordion later. We're really grateful for their support in bringing Planet Possible to you. If you're new to Planet Possible, I'm Nikki Roach. I'm a passionate advocate for all things water and environment, and I'm a fellow of SIWEM, the Chartered Institution of Water and Environmental Management. And SIWEM members across 90 countries are professionals with a breadth and depth of expertise in the topics that are shaping the future of our planet. And we'll be joined by many of them across this season, including today. So let's get today started. And we're going to explore the future of water today. It's a big topic and something that my guest has been thinking about alongside members of SIWEM. And when we talk about the water sector here in the UK, and we kind of primarily mean England and Wales at the moment. And we tend to mean the water that we use for drinking and the wastewater that's treated and returned to rivers. Sometimes we call that the social water cycle. And there's been a lot in our news and politics and public discussions about how that water and specifically wastewater and storm overflows have been and will be managed and we've talked about it here on planet possible in our episode on healthy rivers but today we're going to be thinking about what happens next so the water companies have just submitted their plans for the next five years of investment and we'll talk about that a little bit shortly we've got the prospect of a general election being called by the end of 2024 and our political parties have just met recently for their party conferences. So there is a lot going on. And to help us make sense of it all and offer his views, I am joined again by SIWEM's Director of Policy, Alistair Chisholm. So welcome back to Planet Possible, Al.
1: Hi there, Nikki. Thanks again for having me.
0: Always a pleasure. Um, OK, so let's get started. I know that you've been running a series of workshops and some thought leadership pieces around a freshwater future. Tell us a bit more about what that is and what you've been doing. It's
1: really a piece of work that is, is looking to how we fix the kind of mess that, that water management is in at the moment. And and I will say it's in, in a bit of a mess. And that's no particular slight on any uh, specific actor in, in the water system. But I think having spoken to an awful lot of people... You look around and particularly since 2020, the coverage of some of the challenges that that are existing in, in water management has been increasingly intense and, and the glare has been uh, increasingly bright. And And there are some real challenges and, and those extend across the water industry, uh, water companies and the activities that, that they're responsible for, farming and land management, the runoff water that comes off that land and the the water that is abstracted out of the environment to irrigate crops and to supply energy with cooling water. The water that runs off our roads and our hard surfaces and our urban areas, there's some horrible pollutants wrapped up in in all of that. And we're just not getting on top of it in the way that we need to. There's this picture of really chronic gradual decline in the health of, of some of our water bodies. There is this really growing awareness, that we need to do something, but there's not a clear picture and, and a consensus position on exactly what we should be doing. So we've been reaching out to the public and they're a really crucial part of all of this because ultimately the public, we we use water, we engage with it for our health and wellbeing. Ultimately, we've got to pay for its good management. Um, so we've been reaching out to the public and finding out what, what they value and they want to see done. And then alongside that, we've been reaching out to environmental stakeholders and experts, practitioners and, and so on through a range of techniques and, and workshopping and, and really trying to bolt down the kind of consensus positions around solutions, where we need to go, how long that might take, what we should be prioritising. It's all quite high level, but it is quite interesting in terms of what is coming out. There's some some big headlines there. so.
0: What are some of those big headlines? What are you hearing? And who from, I guess, really? What kind of groups are saying what?
1: There's everyone from local community groups that are concerned about their local river water quality, national level NGOs, practitioners, you know, the cons- the, the typical Cywem crowd of, of consultants and, and water regulators, people who work in local and national government, people who work in water companies, people who work in flood risk management, water resources, water quality, the whole shebang really and that's the that is the i guess the foundation of it all is we need to think about water as a system is the water cycle right isn't it so as water goes through that cycle it touches on an enormous number of different elements natural elements that can provide ecosystem services filtering cleaning provisioning services and then us as a social entity we we get that utility out of that water we use it and then we have to put it back into the environment hopefully we use it as lightly as we possibly can and when we put it back we put it back in a good state that's not really happening the fundamental headline is we need to stop thinking about things in isolation so just wastewater treatment sewage treatment just flood risk management just water resources look at where we can join things up because really when you join things up you get efficiencies and it's going to ultimately deliver better outcomes the more that different stakeholders can discuss the range of solutions that they want and that will make a difference to them and also if you can combine the funding streams and the funding pots to uh, enable delivery you will get better efficiency in, in doing that if you can join it up but obviously it's super it's super complicated the more people you involve in that picture and that process the more challenging it, it gets and I think that's probably why, as as water practitioners, we've actually been saying these kind of things for, for decades now. We need to do things in a more joined up way and somehow it doesn't quite get there.
0: I'm thinking back to when we met John Curtin, who's then the chief executive of the Environment Agency. And you and I spoke to him earlier on this year. And we we asked him that question, which is, you know, do we need something that helps us think about our water in a more joined up way? Do we need a catchment system operator model? And John's view was, you know, as a regulator, no, we don't. We've got everything we need in place already. We just need that to work well. So I guess my challenge back to you is you're painting a very rosy view of the world, but is it realistic that if you join everything up that it is more efficient or does it just add so much inertia to the process that you never get anything done, do you think?
1: I think it would really depend on how you did it and that's the and that's probably the reason why these kind of things haven't moved forward in maybe the way that they they could have done because it's really complex and the potential for things to not work out ideally is is very much there it is going to be difficult to to do this kind of approach and, and make it work. And there's probably going to be some failures along along the way. But because of the nature of the challenges that we face, I think we've got to be prepared to fail at some of these things, learn some lessons. There are examples out there where people are doing this collaborative working really, really well now, learning plenty of lessons from it. It may well need to be different depending on where in the country you are, what the particular pressures are, whether you know you're in the southeast where... Um, you've got high population density, so you've got you know you've got a lot of pressure on those drainage and sewerage networks, and you've also got a lot of pressure on your water resources. That might be quite different, but the, but the landscape you're on, you know, a lot of groundwater and chalk geology, which acts, acts as a sponge and soaks water up. Compare that to up in the northwest, let's say, where you're in much more steep topographical landscape, water runs off it really quickly. You have got these big urban centres in the old you know, post-industrial towns and cities up there, storm overflows, challenges, but the water resources pressures are different. The industry is different there. There's subtleties and complexities that mean how you target any investment that you make is going to be different. And I think what people are pointing towards is, is really trying to give different areas, different regions or sub-regions, maybe catchments or river basins, a little bit more license to set their own priorities in a more concerted way to, than, than they're able to do now and really channel the investment to the priorities that are defined by geographical characteristics and the social characteristics there. At the moment, I think we you know, we are very centralised. There are these regional and, and catchment mechanisms that do add some, some local prioritisation in there, but I think the feeling is that we need to go further down that, that route and also add in some local democracy, some more local democracy and into the decision-making processes there as well because making people feel like they've got ownership of the direction of travel is going to be really important, particularly with areas of the water sector where there is low... Public confidence in uh, performance at the moment.
0: So let's talk about that confidence bit because that that really interests me. You know, and I should declare an interest. I have spent lots of my career working in and around the water sector and, and working with water companies. So I always have a kind of bias, isn't it? Maybe not the word, but you know, I have a view of the sector where I'm I'm passionate about the sector and I see all the good people. But then I can appreciate there's an external view which is very different, probably to mine. So one of the things that's front of my mind is this debate about. What is the shape of the sector? And by that, I mean water companies. You know, we've got a privatised, regulated system at the moment. As part of your freshwater future, all of the conversations you've been having, have you been talking to people about what the future of the, of the water sector, if you like, those companies should look like? And, and if so, what have you been hearing? What do people think we should do?
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting one. There's, there's two camps in, in, in relation to this. There's, there's one school of thought that that says that pretty much ownership models and, you know, their configuration are irrelevant. What really matters is that whoever's owning them, whoever's running them, there are rules, regulations, laws out there that have been set and they need to be complied with. And irrespective of ownership models, just comply with the law and good things will come for the environment from that. There are others who feel that the ownership model absolutely defines the culture and how committed that organisation is to, you know, the public and the environment as distinct maybe from shareholder interests. And and really, it's incredibly difficult to get away from that commercial driver as a an underpinning definer of, of the priority level that's going to be given to the environment. So we did a survey as part of a Freshwater Future and, and the audience for that was either expert or or informed practitioners or stakeholders. It was a a weighty survey, so we weren't expecting huge numbers of responses, but nevertheless, we got hundreds. Of those, only five, I think it was 5.5% said that they thought that the current configuration of the water industry was how they would like to see it continue. That's a really starkly low number, so you then extrapolate that and, and, and you ask them what they want to see. And there's really no definitive, clear position on what people want. So it may be a, a kind of a not-for-profit model. It might be renationalization, Those two were the most popular outcomes. You know, relatively close behind that was something similar to what we have now, but with a lot more corporate governance injected in to give that kind of assurance and confidence back to, to the public. Now, I don't think there's any kind of position that coming out of that, that we could say, well, here's a definitive answer. And many people as part of this process have said, well, you know, look at Scotland. It's basically a nationalised industry. Look at Wales. It's a not-for-profit. England, it's all privatised. In Northern Ireland, you've got government owned and, and contractor operated. Everybody's got the same kind of range of problems. Everybody's looking at storm overflows as a bit of a problem. Nutrients from treated sewage discharges being a problem. Uh, nutrients from agricultural land being a big problem. At Urban runoff being a big problem. And the performance levels you know, across all of these companies varies and, and you can't tie one to, to an ownership model. So I think the ownership model is not the definer. It's the framework within which we operate. Now... Having said all that, there is a clear message, and that is that practitioners and those stakeholders, because this is where the survey went to, there is something they are not happy about in the current way of operating. And, And they want more assurance around the social purpose, the public interest and the environmental performance. Now, that may come from stronger regulation. It may come from changes to how people are involved in corporate governance and decision making. There may be mechanisms which may be auditable that point towards public purpose. And it might be a combination of all of those things. But really, the headline is it's not healthy at the moment and it needs to improve. Uh, and, and that then sets the tone for what we might do next. So, yeah, it's a, it's a sobering time. I don't think it's surprising. As I said, since 2020, all of this has been coming out in, in the media. Campaigners have been really shining a bright light on it. And we, we know there's an issue You know, the question is, will what is in water company business plans for the next five years make any dent in that? Is there other things that that need to be rolled out to provide that extra assurance? And what can we do outside of the water industry space to, to really make an impact? Because the water industry is only part of the problem.
0: This season of Planet Possible is sponsored by Accordion. Accordion lets you choose the duration of any piece of video or audio content. Using Accordion, you can change the length of a podcast, keynote speech, training video, or anything else via a slider bar, keeping the essential information you need and losing the detail you don't. Think about how much time that could give back to you, your staff, customers, or audience. Give it a try at accordion.live. And remember, you can listen to every episode of Planet Possible at accordion.live forward slash So you just touched there on business plans. And for those people, many of whom don't work in the water sector, I'm sure, certainly not in this bit of it, you may or may not be aware. So the water sector have just put in their five-year business plans. There is in total £96 billion with investments. That's across the water companies in England and Wales that's been put on the table. There's a process to go through that goes to off what the regulator. And eventually what shakes out of that is a final number, which is how much the water companies can then go and invest the current five-year period for context is 52 billion. So our, we're we're seeing a sector saying they're almost doubling the amount of investment going into water and wastewater infrastructure across England and Wales over the next five years. What are your reflections on what you've seen coming out of what water companies are saying they want to do?
1: I haven't looked in depth at all of the different um, company plans and you've not read them all yet. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> you know look at look at the headlines it's uh, a massive increase on on the level of investment that was there before people have been saying that the the water industry needs to invest more well here it is there's a lot of people who are saying well hang on customers ultimately water bill payers are going to have to pay for this it's not really the water companies making the investment they're making it on behalf of uh, of us as as water bill payers and, you know, to a great extent, that's how it, it works. There is some outrage at some of the events that have gone on before and a feeling that bill payers have already paid some of this money and it hasn't been invested as it might have been. And I think that's a real challenge for the sector. I think it will also put pressure on politicians or on the government to put pressure on what to, to push things down a little bit. The bill impact of that investment for customers, will start off at the beginning of the in twenty twenty five a seven pound a month, rising to about thirteen pound a month. I think by the by the end twenty thirty, it's not insignificant. It's a challenging times for for people in terms of their household bills, and this is not an insignificant increase on top of everything else. Now something has to happen. I think as a kind of a quid pro quo, to effectively give something back to people to assure them that that money is going to be spent well, it's going to be spent in their interest, it's going to be spent efficiently. And that's the challenge for the regulators, I think, now, is to make sure that those schemes really are delivering uh, value for money, that they're delivering the maximum possible progress. And we've spoken a lot before about the desire to see things delivered in the right way. I think it's very hard to get away from the fact that this probably will be a very concrete, heavy Investment period, there's going to be a lot of upgrades to sewage treatment works, there's going to be new reservoirs in there, a lot of heavy infrastructure. And one of the observations, just going back to a freshwater future, is that one of the things that was really, I guess, neglected in the whole suite of infrastructure. Spend over the years is is capital maintenance in in keeping the existing infrastructure you know up to spec and up to to appropriate performance levels. And I think there will be an awful lot of new capital investment in works upgrades in in storm overflows upgrades it's a lot of new kit there's going to be a lot of concrete and emissions associated with that, and we 're probably not going to see too much in the way of of nature based solutions and and that kind of thing which certainly a lot of the environmental groups really wanted to see unleashed through this programme.
0: I guess on a personal note, I think that's really interesting because when we talked to, again, thinking back to our conversation with John Curtin, one of John's kind of parting comments was, I really hope that this doesn't become, you know, before the business plans went in, an investment period where we end up pouring lots of concrete. I, I think what I certainly see is the challenges that customers rightly expect certainty in outcomes. They want to see those storm overflow discharges reducing the regulator understandably wants to see certainty and outcome and the challenge is i think at the moment that our nature-based solutions so you know u- using the environment to help us do some of these things there is inherently a bit less certainty and slightly longer lead times and i i don't know how the water sector the regulators and customers square that circle because we need nuance and probably we need quite a lot of trust if we want to do those kind of solutions more. And I feel like that's the one thing that just, again, quite understandably has kind of vanished. So the unintended consequence of like this really rapid progress and desire for improvement is lots more concrete being poured, lots more emissions and like loads of missed opportunities. That's the thing, you know, I'm I'm not speaking as a host here. I'm speaking as, you know, from a personal perspective, it's a bit heartbreaking because there will be so many opportunities to do things in a tread more lightly kind of way over the next five years that we're going to miss because of this haste. I think it's a shame and I think it's a factor of a lack of trust, meaning that we have to go for hard and fast absolutes. And that's the consequence I think of some of that.
1: Yeah. That old adage that if you were going to start from somewhere, it wouldn't be here. And there's a lot of making up for the fact that performance and and behaviors have not been as they should have been everywhere in, you know, over the past decade or so. And that is having an impact on the measures that are coming through. I don't see much, unfortunately, much alternative to that because there needs to be a demonstrable outcome that that the public can see happening after the the next five-year programme to say, okay, these guys are making progress and maybe now we'll, we'll let them be a bit more innovative, be a bit more experimental in terms of how they're delivering some of the outcomes and, and giving them a little bit more wriggle room in terms of the rigidity of, of that. But I, I don't think it's very possible to, to do that in the current climate. It's, it's, it's really hard.
0: Okay, Al. So, I mean, I guess one of the things that we heard from those freshwater future sessions that you talked about at the beginning was that there's a general sense that something needs to change. One of the things that could change is that a water company fails. You know, I, I guess... Maybe they're too big to fail. I wonder. And I'm interested in if a seismic event like that happens. You know, we've just seen really big business plans going in. Maybe regulators won't give water companies the money that they need. If a water company fails, I mean, what what do you think about that? Is that that helpful, given the kind of current debate that we find ourselves in about what the future needs to look like?
1: I don't think it's helpful. I don't think it's the end of the world at all. I mean, there are measures... There are measures set out in legislation which prescribe uh, an approach in which basically of what would step in and government would, would be there to ensure that people's taps keep flowing. They would take on the asset base of, of the organisation, the, the, the company that failed and over a period of time they would either find new investors if it was to, to stay as a private company or it could in theory switch to a different model. It might be municipalized or, or turned into a not-for-profit I mean that that was actually what happened with Welsh Water it was a, a kind of a standard private company before it changed to to a not-for-profit and companies fail full stock private companies fail and they fail because they either don't perform well enough or they don't respond to to market conditions now I get you know water companies don't Operate in in a conventional market, their monopolies. But I guess the parallel there would be that they would not be responding to a change in public or, or electorate defined norms of environmental behaviour, performance standards. And if companies don't respond to those kind of pressures, then they do go under, and that should be allowed to happen. I don't think there should be any kind of get out of jail free cards for. Any water companies, there there are alternatives. There are four different ownership models in the UK, and they, to a greater or lesser extent, they all perform well or not so well. They all provide really good quality drinking water to to their customers, and they do provide sewage services, and and but they've all got challenges. So there are loads of ways you can kind of square this circle. We shouldn't be obsessively prescriptive in terms of what model should should endure in this country and it needs to respond to those pressures, I think.
0: Well, we're called Planet Possible, so I'm going to hold on to a glimmer of optimism and positivity that maybe, you know, I think maybe this is where the, the sector and all of its partners and environmental NGOs have to show a bit of leadership and say, we know it's difficult, but what can we do to give more certainty and to and to do the hard stuff, really, so that we can still deliver for customers, but we can also deliver for the environment. I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to that, Al. I'm going to drag you with me kicking and screaming. I'd really like to think about, I guess, the wider environment and something that I know you're really close to is, what our political parties have been saying about all of this. So we've just had the party conference season. The sector does not exist in a vacuum. And as we said at the start, you know, by the end of 2024, we will have called a general election. Are you seeing, well, what are you seeing actually from the political parties? Is, is environment coming out very loudly for them? And, and if it is, what kind of things are they, are they saying about, about the future of water?
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, environment as an issue will dominate this election one way or another, more than it's dominated any election previously, because society is so aware now of of both climate pressures, but also nature decline, and and you know certainly within these shores, the water quality, freshwater health challenge, and and so those are very big political issues, and and they will be election issues, and so they are featuring quite significantly on on political parties agendas. I'm sure they will do in, in manifestos when it comes to manifesto time. But in terms of the kind of pledges that have been put forward in the party conferences recently, I mean, taking them one at a time, the, the Liberal Democrats is probably the most uh, fully formed. You know, they've, they've put out policy papers, one on tackling the nature crisis, fairness for customers and, and that kind of thing. And these are, these are meaty documents, 70-odd page documents. Water industry is dominating this and, and the so-called sewage crisis, sewage scandal is very much uh, political kind of capital for, for opposition parties in particular. Um, but the Liberal Democrats have said that they're going to support nature-friendly farming, which is, is great and obviously would have tangible beneficial outcomes for, for water in, in the context of, of farming and, and kind of land management. So they've pledged to put an extra billion a year on top of the roughly three billion that uh, is being driven through the environmental land management schemes. They say they're going to introduce a sewage tax, on water company profits. So I guess that's some kind of windfall tax to, to help to to pay for regulators and clean up. They've got off what in their crosshairs very much, and they say they're going to abolish it uh, and replace it with a, a new regulator uh, with strength and powers to, to hold water companies to account. Labour are just going out all out attack really on on the water industry. It seems they've they've not got that much that they've said in in terms of water management in a, a farming context or or in the urban context. It's really zeroing in on the the kind of public outrage around water company performance, very much blaming the Conservatives for what they term the sewage scandal and saying that they've been negligent in in how they've dealt with that. They say they're going to put water companies under special measures, whatever those would be, but basically that they would force companies to monitor every, what they call water outlet. So I guess it would be sort of final effluent monitoring and and that kind of thing. And then the target is then executive pay and bonuses. Basically, they say they're going to give off what powers to ban bonuses for executives until sewage pollution is cleaned up. And then Really, from the Conservative point of view, they've they've not said too much, to be honest, apart from saying that it was them who uh, introduced um, event duration monitors on on storm overflows and saying that the other party's plans would basically cause thousands of pounds of of bill increases for, for customers. They're all plays on what is either in existence already or is being put in train, actually. And, you know, on the fines front, there is the civil sanctions penalty cap that's being removed. It was capped. These penalties that environmental regulators can impose on polluters, there was a cap of £250,000 for that, and that cap is going and, and there won't be one at all. So in theory, very severe fines could, could come. Water company bosses can, in theory, be taken to court as part of uh, criminal prosecutions of, of water companies. So, you know, they're company directors. Of what does have powers to address bonuses dividends uh, and that is actually linked to environmental performance as well as things like financial sustainability that but these are new powers for off what they haven't really had the chance to flex those muscles and and I think with all of these there's there's some headline grabbing things that can be said about new legislation new fines new new powers we've got a lot of legislation in place and there are powers in place and I think one of the the points that campaigners will have made is that those haven't been used. There's been political pressure to maybe not. It will be interesting to see the direction these get refined in as we move into full manifestos.
0: Just to, hearing what you were reflecting on there, it was interesting for me that what we opened with, you know, what we were hearing from those people that you've spoken to, stakeholders, customers, you know, people that work in the sector, that message seemed to be. Where we are at the moment isn't working and we need something to be much more connected. And then what you've reflected back to me there from what the parties are saying is, you know, stronger regulation, more enforcement of existing powers, maybe more monitoring. There's a bit of a disconnect, or at least it sounds like it, in that I'm not hearing any of those parties saying fundamentally we need to change the shape or change the levels of connectivity, I guess, really? It's interesting that the the things that those people working in the sector are saying probably are the things that are a bit broken aren't necessarily the things that our political parties are saying they're going to fix. Is that a fair summary, though, or have I misinterpreted a bit?
1: No, no, I think it's a, it's definitely a fair summary. Unfortunately, the things that need to be fixed are not always headline-grabbing. We find that as an organisation that does sometimes zero in on technical components of delivery and how different responsible agencies work together and whether they can or not, whether they're empowered to, whether they've got the right duties, whether they've got the capacity. None of those are really going to create blazing headlines and massive manifesto hooks, unfortunately. So I think what we need to look at is the spirit of what is being said here and understand what's underneath it, map out the kind of practical delivery mechanisms that could help deliver some of these ambitions. I, I do, I do agree. I think there are, there is a need for a stronger regulatory baseline, a clear message that the environment cannot protect itself and it needs strong regulators. If those are not there, then there is always the the opportunity for organizations or individuals who are motivated to not conserve the environment to to do it and to get away with it and I mentioned a chronic decline over the years and in many ways that has been because we haven't had strict enough comprehensive enough granular enough regulation and enforcement it's not been invested in enough and so we're a very capitalist country there's not the, the checks and balances and there's not the drivers to be environmentally responsible that balance out the very strong drivers to be profitable, to deliver for, for shareholders. And, and that goes beyond water companies. That's across the piece. There's, there's a, a wide range of polluters in, in the water world and you can look at every everything from product manufacturers for, for transport through to chemicals companies in, in you know who make products in in our day-to-day lives in our households and then there's water companies and and it the environment cannot protect itself it needs a protector and and that is a very strong message that I think is coming out from
0: all sides that's, that's really clear uh, and I, I mean I'm nodding in agreement I always ask guests uh and you are you know. You're a regular, but you you know what's coming. I always ask guests, and um, if I gave you the Planet Possible magic wand, what would you like to make possible? We've covered a lot today. I'm going to pass it to you, not in your capacity as director of policy at Simon, but you know, Al Chisholm, man on the street. Here's the Planet Possible magic wand. If you could make one of the things that we've talked about or that's in your mind possible, what would you like to what would you like to see happen?
1: I'd like to make the nerdy the nerdy delivery-focused stuff actually get political traction, I think. Look, we, need to, we just need to start doing things properly and, and take the environment seriously. It's the only environment we've got. This is the only planet we've got. These are the only shores we've got in the UK. We need to look after them. We need to treat them like they matter. They're the foundation of our economy and our healthy society. There's so much capital there that we have used and abused over the years and we need to start giving some something back now. And that does not mean throwing gazillions of pounds of money at green schemes and the environment. It, we need to start counting the benefits and, and working the benefits into decision-making processes. And actually, if we do that and we count those benefits, we'll work out that the net cost is not all that great. It's about... Being very caring in terms of our decision-making processes and recognising that in terms of the investments and the, the governance structures that we set out, set out, that is pretty boring. But but the outcomes are not, you know? It's very systematic. It's very methodical. It's it's detailed. Just get your head down and, and work constructively with each other stuff is not going to make headlines in the way that millions of hours of storm overflows and... and uh, massive fines are going or banging water company chief execs up in jail but it's what will ultimately deliver the good outcomes for for society
0: it's a very grown-up answer that's the I first mean, time they've been called
1: a grown-up vicky
0: uh, well I, I was thinking it <laughs> But it is, it's true, isn't it? Sometimes the boring stuff is the stuff that's really important. As ever, time's flown by. And um, and we are here at another end of another episode of Planet Possible. But um, a huge thank you to you for joining us. I hope you found the conversation that Al and I have had insightful. I hope it's given you something to think about in your world. You can subscribe to Planet Possible on your usual podcast player to never miss an episode. We would love to hear your ratings and reviews too. And now you can even find us on TikTok. I am really looking forward to sharing the rest of the season with you all. You'll see a new episode landing once a month. And as ever, there'll be some specials in there too. But all that leads me to say for now is a huge thank you to my guest today at Altism. So a huge thanks for joining us, all. Thank you, Nikki. And that's it for now, everyone. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.
1: Planet Possible is produced by Bulb. BWLB Bulb. The best ideas, the strongest content.